Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is July the 5th, 2014, and thank you for tuning to another episode of The Bright Side with Technisha, and I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to all. I hope that everyone had fun yesterday while I was at work barbecuing, celebrating up, eating your potato salad. Then nobody called me and gave me a plate, but that's fine. My husband brought me a plate anyway, even though I didn't eat it because, you know, I'm trying to do right, so I kind of didn't want to sneak it in. But um, if he has some left, you know, I don't mind getting a taste of it because I do got a taste for some ribs right now on my mind. I do. Like, I just really want a good rib and some good old macaroni and cheese. But it's hard to really do macaroni and cheese without just being awful about it because, the, well, my friend told me I could use low-fat cheese if I do macaroni and cheese, so that would be a good thing. But anyhow, if anyone feels like they want to call in today and give an inspiring story, because my show is all about news and motivation, and I'm always willing to listen to anybody who has an inspiring story that has transformed them, you can call in at 347-426-3751. Today with me, you know, we all love our sci-fi movies. We all grew up on Twilight Zone and watching those type of movies. Well, I know I did. I, I love Twilight Zone. I love anything that deal with aliens, take you to another world, get you out of your cycle, those, that type of stuff. That's me. But on the air with me, if you want to get a little bit more detail with it and find out that question that ponders your mind, what if? Well, here with me to explain that is Mr. Cora Williams, who is also a writer, an actor. He pursued so many careers doing this. He has been in the Hollywood spotlight, independent films, and now he's getting into the writing industry, which he has four books out, and I will explain those more later on in the show. And they're all based in the genre of science fiction. And like I said, we all have that powerful question that, poses in any language, what if? And that being the case, he thought that this might be of some interest to you. So I hope you stay tuned for this. You're tuned in to Blog Talk Radio, The Bright Side with Technisha, and we'll be right back after this. How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. There is a dimension that is unknown to mankind. It's a dimension as vast as space. Space. And as timeless as infinity. It's the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. Science fiction is the dimension of imagination. Here to take us out of the element is Corey Williams. Good afternoon, Corey. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm I'm trying to take the audience back into another dimension. We got our science and our superstition, all of this in one. So I hope everybody's ready for this dimension of imagination with Corey Williams today. Yeah. Corey, I was explaining to the audience about this, a little bit about your background on writing and as well as acting. Would you like to tell us more about yourself, please? Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, where I studied I creative writing actually I was in the Philadelphia the Philadelphia High School for Creative Performing Arts from seventy eight to eighty one. Um when the program had just started, we were basically the sibling program to the New York school that was made famous in movie fame. And again, as I said, I majored in creative writing there, minored in video production, and then went on to Stanford University from 81 to 86, where I majored in drama and minored in dance. And during that time, I think I averaged about five to six major productions per year with various different companies around campus. 
And then once I got out of school, so went back east to pursue my acting career. And as I did, they did there as I did out here because I'm in L.A. now. Numerous different uh, small parts and large films, big parts and small independent projects, a lot of theater, a good amount of voice, well, more voiceover when I came out west, but industrial films and that type of thing. The love for writing was always there, so I still continued with that. Did a lot of writing, did a lot of submitting, got a lot of rejection notices. And I finally reached a point in my career where I had to, if I was really going to truly immerse myself in the film business, I was going to have to move out west. So I moved to Los Angeles in 1999 and have been pursuing the dream ever since. Um, as I said, small parts in larger productions, large parts in small independent films, a lot of theater, a lot of voiceover work. And while in the midst of doing all of that, I've also managed to crank out four novels. And with well, actually five, six, and seven I'm working on concurrently now, and here we are. Well, Corey, you have looked like you have had a exciting journey through your life so far. Now, you got four wonderful novels out. All the genre is based on science fiction. You have Tontas, Taken of Syndrome's Hope, which is more of a sequel to Tontas, Hunter's Moon, and then I think your fourth and last one was The Dark Speed, Aridani. Yes, yes. Since my show is mostly an hour, I would love to know more about these books. Well, my first one, my first novel, Tothantans, deals with a professional assassin named Rentikar, former former assassin who was thought to be dead, who turns up, he resurfaces with the decision to turn state's evidence against an organization that for whom he used to work. Enter Galen Rojai, who is a peace agent, a ranger, whose job it is to transport Rentikar to a special government inquest where he is to divulge all this information. There's subterfuge going on within, there's intrigue and danger again going on without, and it's sent on a star-spanning chase and fight for their lives. And with danger from within, danger from without, these two men who come from hard roads to opposite sides of the law have found when they end up crash-landing on a planet in the middle of nowhere that they have to defend on one another for their, for their mutual survival. And in order to get to that point, they have to learn to trust each other. So then, there you go, survival is their only way out. Now, The Taking of Sindriel's Hope is actually a prequel to Totentots. It takes place ten years prior to Totentots, in which Galen, who is now a student, leaving home for the first time to go off to university, is aboard a space liner that gets hijacked by a group of pirates called the, the Warriors of the Black Flame. Okay. They make their demands. They make their demands that being the release of members of their group from prison. And if their demands are not met, they're going to kill one passenger aboard the ship every hour on the hour. And if after a certain period of time those demands are still not met, they're going to blow the entire ship and kill everyone and move on. So now the clock is ticking, and Galen being aboard the ship and also being the only one of his kind aboard the ship, having particular abilities that others lack there, he takes it upon himself, and this is a teenager, takes it upon himself to start fighting back. And with the help of some of the other crew members, he basically keeps the hijackers off balance and at bay until rescue can arrive. Now, Hunter's Moon, which is the largest and most epic in scale of the four, concerns one, Harik. He is the villain of our story. He is a former military leader from a world called Lunari. And he is a legend. He is a living legend. Until he, his quest for power leads him to basically become a megalomaniac 
and for various different crimes he perpetrates against his own people, he is then stripped of his birthright, stripped of all title, and then exiled, never to walk among his people, the Anon, again. Decades later, he reappears with a ship, a crew, an army, and a mission, that being to avenge himself upon the very people who cast him out, to which end he destroys the planet. Now, there are survivors, refugees, who are scattered amongst the stars. Jan Baker being one of them, a young man who arrives at Earth, arrives on Earth at the age of six, and he's found, put in foster care, eventually adopted, and lives a relatively normal and mundane life, which is fine by him, all the while knowing he's completely conscious of his extraterrestrial nature and his abilities, and knowing that he has to hide this from the general public and from most of his loved ones because most people would not understand this this type of thing. He also knows that Harik is coming. As he grows up, he has visions, and he knows that Harik is coming because he, this man, the villain, has been systematically hunting his people down, one planet after another, one star system another, for years, and killing them off, this being a mission of genocide, his final revenge. And Jan and the last few members of his people who are scattered across Earth have to band together and prepare for the final coming and knowing that they have to eventually fight for their lives and for their home. Right. At this point, Jan has to embrace his destiny as a leader among his people. Now, Darkspeed Eridani concerns a starship. The the, the Eridani is the first purely human-built, faster-than-light spacecraft built by the citizens of the planet Themis. And it is launched on a great mission of exploration. The ship is lost with all hands just completely disappears. And over the intervening years since its disappearance, it keeps appearing again and reappearing throughout various different parts of Alliance space, like an interstellar flying Dutchman. It basically gets the, the reputation of being a ghost ship. Now, 300 years after this ship's launch, the crew of a cargo and salvage ship, the Bryson, they happen to chance upon the Aridani when it makes a new appearance. And they decide to board the ship while they have the chance and solve the mystery of its disappearance, or at least try to. Now then, there goes the question. Will they actually solve the mystery of the Aridani, or will they become yet another in a long line of victims to the ship's curse? And there you are. Well, I can't wait till I get my hands on these books because I do. I love, I love all genres, and science fiction is a great genre for me. I love it. Like I said, I'm a twice. I was a Twilight girl all the way. That's not a. <laughs> I love. I love stuff like that. Um, Corey, do you have a fifth book in the making? I actually have three books in the making. Um, I'm working on them concurrently. <clears throat> so when I, r- I run dry on one, I jump to the next, and then when I run dry on that, I run to the next. So I have Pariah's Legacy, The Utmost Gravity, and uh, Cargo of Sinners all working back and forth and back and forth. So this is gonna be, it's going to be a while before they eventually come out. In the meantime, I also have interest in a, in a script that I've written called Pathfinder, so I'm working, actually, trying to get myself a literary agent because I've been doing most of this work so far on my own and, try, and working on the concept and pre-production design work for that so that when the project actually, I'm in a, when I'm in a position to actually pitch the project, I will have visuals to show to help because the script alone, the script alone is great, 
But if you have artwork, if you have visuals to present, to actually feed the minds of the people that you are presenting this thing to, you stand a greater chance of getting off the ground because then they can actually see where you're going with it. So that's what I've been working on. I've been, I've been working on for the past few months, and will and will be working on until the project finally gets off the ground. Well, how does your acting skills play a role in your writing your novel? Well, the acting the acting came first, really. I mean, I love writing, but the acting came first because right. as as an only child, I spent a lot of time to my I spent a lot of time alone. I didn't have a lot of friends when I was a kid, and so I spent a lot of time alone in my head creating various different fantasies, different worlds, which I eventually took to writing down. And one of the ways that I was able to reach out to some of the other kids in the neighborhood was writing stories and then getting the other kids to participate in what I was doing. So... But the acting was there from the, was there from the beginning. My my mother would say that the the warning signs, shall we say, of the budding actor were there from a, from a very early age, because it was basically my imagination coming to life. And acting and writing both, it's all about storytelling. So for me, the two seemed to go hand in hand, which is why it seemed to be an, it was a natural fit for me when I went to Kappa, Creative Performing Arts High School, and majored in creative writing. So, yeah, they all it all seemed to work to, to work together for me. And having the ability to do both, that, I mean, oh. that seemed to be a fit. Okay. Well, that's why I think it's very important. You didn't you definitely didn't stop. You continued on doing something else, and that's why I love about that about people like you, yourself, anyone. You have so many hats, and you know how to maintain all of them. But you don't just focus on one skill; you go to another skill. And sometimes we do get caught up in that. Like me, for instance, I probably say I love journalism so much that that's all I will focus on. But I'm willing to just explore other options out there, but journalism will always be my number one thing. Now, what, in your books, what inspired these characters, though, Corey? What got me started with that, I would say, science fiction was, as far as a genre, was my first love. Because I cut my eye teeth on Star Trek. I watched the show and the Star Trek, and as you mentioned, the Twilight Zone, which I love. As a matter of fact, out here on the, on Sci-Fi, on for Independence Day, they did a Twilight Zone marathon, which I had a ball with. Now, yeah, these the Star Trek, the Twilight Zone, Star Trek first, which I, I saw in first one. I was three years old when the show first came out. I had no idea what I was watching, but it looked interesting, and so I stayed with it. And as time time passed on, I was introduced to more things like the Twilight Zone and later Night Gallery, and then very I grew up on a on a steady diet of shall we say odd sensibility movies and television, a lot of educational television. So I got involved. In, I had developed an interest in the science behind the science fiction, and. The two of them seem to go hand in hand. Science fiction fuels the imagination and then makes the people who are interested in hard science try to find a way to make what they see in science fiction come true. The whole concept of world building fascinated me. Just creating whole creating not just whole images but this broad tapestry that you can just that you can just view from beginning to end, and be completely immersed in that. Various different books did that. Might the first science fiction novel that I had read was Isaac Asimov's novelization of the movie Fantastic Voyage. Because I'd seen that as a child, loved the movie, 
And then one day I happened to be out with my mom. She was out shopping at a local a local shopping center back in Philadelphia, and we stopped right. at a bookstore. And one one of the things, one of the many things that I had to thank my mother for is that since I grew up in an environment where I was surrounded by books, and it fostered reading, it fostered learning, and and fostered the imagination. My mother never had a problem indulging me when it came to books. So we were in this bookstore, and I happened to see Fantastic Voyage on the shelf, and like, Mom, 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 I have, can I have this? And so she bought the book. <laughs> I devoured it immediately. I, I devoured the thing immediately, which was not easy, because at that time I was about nine years old, and I'm reading a science fiction novel which was written by an actual scientist. So this was hardcore stuff. And he was he said in the preface of the book that he was actually trying to reconcile some of the scientific inconsistencies that he had seen in the movie. And then when later, years, years, years later, Isaac Asimov wrote the follow-up book, Fantastic Voyage 2, Destination Brain, he took it in a different direction. And with the same basic concept but did it in a way that he thought was more scientifically plausible. Loved that book, too. But having read, having read the original Fantastic Voyage, and I think one, during the course of my school years, on five, during five different years, I wrote a book report on that particular book because each time I went back and revisited it, I learned more, and I was able to get more out of it. And each time that was reflected in, I mean, it was an easy cheat, but each time it was, each time I learned more and got more out of the book, that was reflected in in the subsequent book report. So there's that. It started with Fantastic Voyage, and then I got heavily involved in various different authors. Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, who we lost just a few years ago, and whom I thankfully got to meet before he passed away. Wonderful man, irascible. He was a, he was an irascible old dude, but he was a lovely. He was a he was still just a wonderful guy. So I I got that privilege, which was great. So there's Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, um, Frank Dune. I mean, excuse me, Frank Herbert, who wrote the book Dune and the entire Dune series, and mm-hmm. was that was amazing. That was truly an exercise in world building because the first book, Dune, was over a thousand pages long, so involved that it had a glossary in it. And in the beginning of that book, you had to you had to chew through a lot because it was more or less explanations of this is of the societies that you were about to jump into. And then once you were there, you were completely there. I read that book when I was about thirteen. I was introduced to that book in junior high school and read that when I was about thirteen years old. And then later on, I was introduced to science fiction authors who had my voice because up until that point, I had no exposure to science fiction authors of color. But then came Octavia Butler and Samuel Delaney and Nalo Hopkins and some Chachalco and, and people, people like that, Walter Mosley. So when I discovered that there were science fiction writers of color, of blacks, Asians, that kind of, and that gave me even more of the impetus to jump into it because I saw that we had a, that that we had a voice that science fiction knew no color line by that point. So that was very encouraging to me, and so I started writing, 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 coming up with stories on my own. Didn't really go anywhere, but I was writing for my own edification. And then I decided I'm going to start writing for the, for the purpose of getting published. And to that end, actually, my third novel, Hunter's Moon, I started with that because it, that book had actually started as a project for a video production class I was taking in high school. So, so I had I wrote that script. It was a 67-page script. And I was working with students in school, and I had a lot of the the acting students, the drama students, who were going to be my actors. I got some teachers involved. I myself was acting in it, 
and we had managed to go around the city and get all kinds of locations. We had actually talked to various different merchants and were going to shoot around the city in various different locations during their off hours, but then we come to find out that we couldn't take the equipment off campus. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple of, so me and my buddy Brian Glass, who is now a well-known cartoonist, we decided to get a couple of Super 8 cameras and shoot this on our own. We managed to do so, not the entire thing, because coordinating everyone's schedule was a nightmare. And then eventually I started losing my actors because everyone was going off to college. And then I went off to college. So I decided to attack the book, attack the story differently in the midst of getting involved in, in classes and theater productions, a part-time job on campus, and that type of thing, I started writing, I started studying scripts. And then, so I rewrote the script in proper format and then adapted that as a novella. So it went from the 67-page strip that I'd written in high school to a 184-page novella. I started submitting that to publishing companies and got rejection notices, which I knew was going to happen because I was an unknown and unrepresented. And, and they came, sat on that for a while, did other things, decided to attack it again. Again, the same thing happened. Rejection notices. was like, okay, so this side started working on other things. Eventually moved out to Los Angeles. Got, my, got the acting career up and running and then decided to attack the story again after eventually cranking out Totentons and the taking of Cinderella's Hope, I decided I was going to attack Hunters and one again. Now, I, okay. didn't have, I didn't have a hard copy of the story, but I did have it on disc. I had it on computer disc, but when I went to open the computer disc, I discovered that something had happened to it in the intervening years the disk was completely corrupted and all of the information was lost. So I had to start from square one. I had to start completely over and basically reassemble the entire story from memory, which I wow. did. And then that story went from being a 67-page high school script to a 184-page novella to I added another three pages later on to a 187-page novella to basically a 631-page manuscript because there was so much more that I needed to say. Finally whittled that down, edited it down into the format for, for publication, having gone through the process with Lulu, my publisher Lulu, for Tolkien Thompson and Taking the Syndrome's Hope, and eventually got Hunter's Moon out. Okay. You know, all of was a, it's one is a storytelling, and it's not giving up. Right. That was the thing. I refused to let this, so if you take anything from that situation, is tenacity and determination. Do not give up. And that's what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to give up. There is no quit in my vocabulary. That's why I continue my show every day, and I strive to do it all the time. And, you know, while we were mentioning so many of black authors of science fiction and fantasy, I mean, we need to start getting more of these into our libraries. We do. We need to start focusing on that because we don't talk about it. And there's probably a few names everybody don't even know about, such as Octavia Butler. Uh, We got Walter Mosley. And I know a lot of people, we might know a little bit about W.E.B. Du Bois, but we really need to go into our history because he did a lot of speculative work, um, like the Comet, um, Jesus Christ in Texas, Zora Neale Hurston. She did more than just their eyes were watching God. So these type of books need to be on the shelves. This is what we need to be teaching in our history courses, but we, do, we don't. And I know that we feel that as we see ourselves in the media, we see ourselves on TV, we feel like we have earned our props. Trust and believe me, black people, we still got a long ways to go, okay? We still we, we still got so much to cover because I always feel like we're still enslaved. We don't even have, we didn't even really get our Independence Day on July the 4th. That's why I said we really barbecue for everything. We Somebody can get shot and we'll barbecue. We need to know the facts to all these holidays that we're 
that we're cooking out to before, like Cinco de Mayo. We celebrate that, and it has nothing to do with us. So let's just, I, to me, Corey, I think that as black people, we just need to be more educated and stop taking stop taking the crap that we just that's given to us. Do your own research. Do your own homework. Find out what's really going on. Because really, by the end of the day, you look like an ass to me when you don't know what's going on and you sitting up here. And, and white people, they're laughing in our face. They're going to laugh in your face because you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. So I advise parents out there, make sure your children know about these black authors. The, even, even from whatever genre, it don't even have to be science fiction, but just get them to know more black authors because there's, the school's not going to do it for us. They're not going to teach you all your history. We focus on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks, and I love them guys, but they are not the only ones who are civil rights activists. Oh, absolutely. So, there's there's so much more there's so much more out there. It is. And now with with the beauty of the internet, you can find them. You can actually find them where whereas before I mean so much of American history was hidden. Yeah, so much of American history was hidden because you consider who was writing the history books at the time. Right. I do. I agree with that. I do, Corey. I do. I agree with that all the way. And when you consider, the, I mean, all of the various different ethnic groups that make up this country, each with their own history, each with their own individual history, and each with their own history as far as what was contributed to the building of this country, you're not truly learning American history if all you're learning is the history from one particular viewpoint. Right. Right. That's so true. We better get up on it. I'm going with CORE. We better get up on it. Get up on your knowledge. I have a friend who's who's an actor. Actually, he's working working in Atlanta now. Mm -hmm. And... He is, we've had this discussion before. He just recently did a show called Greenwood 64. It was about a a meeting between between Cindy Poitier and Harry Belafonte um, where they were supposed, they were involved in, in a particular civil rights event that was taking place there and because of the hostile, they were basically hidden in the attic of this, hidden in the attic of this building um, for a while, because of a hostile climate in the area and the death of of three civil rights activists, this is right on the heels of that. So it's basically these two actors who have different viewpoints about how to attack the situation. So with two good friends who love each other dearly, but they're it's a the whole thing is about the, the two of them banging heads because they they have somewhat different ideologies. And the show was really good, and he, Elton, particularly, I, I mean, I've known him for for good for a few years now, and we had talked about a film project, which I'm hoping that he decides to finally pick up, because, mm-hmm. and he, I found a picture of Oscar Michaud, who was one of the first black film directors during the silent era. And this man is Elkany Williams. Is he's a dead ringer for 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 Oscar Michaud? And so I gave him a whole bunch of seed information to start off with. Like, dude, you have to do this. You have to do this. So I'm like plotting him to get the Oscar Michaud project off the ground to do, do if not a if not a film, a biographical stage play about Oscar Michaud because I know he can do it. So I'm giving him the, the seed information about that because even with even with Oscar Michaud's prominence, he's not a he's not as widely known as he should be. He's definitely right. not, and there's so many so many figures in various different aspects of of this country's history, not to mention the world's history, but this country's history, who are not widely known. 
granted, thankfully, again, because of the Internet and the vast stores of information that are available through the, inter- through the Internet, you can, find about, you can find these people. But you have to know to look. Now, you not only have to know where to look, you have to know what to look for in the first place. And so with anything, for, for me as a writer, research, 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 is extremely important. As a writer of science fiction, it's especially important because you want to you want to make your science relatively plausible and plausible enough to make the reader be willing to suspend any sense of disbelief and take the journey with you. On top of that, it's not not just a science. I also have a my personal library covers a very wide range of wide range of subjects. I mean, astronomy okay. and applied physics, um, geology, um, biology, mythology. One of the things that I've always found fascinating is the mythologies of various different cultures, and I can read and then pick and use bits of that in my writing. Set it on set it on completely different worlds, but take the core of, of various different mythologies and just sort of like and jigger that around to make it a story completely my own. But there's always a core of that that there's something real there. There's something that if you really look closely, someone can draw back and say, "Wait a minute, this looks if not familiar." It's like this looks interesting, and then they'll go back, and someone can go back and find the actual source material on their own if they're diligent enough to do so, and find that's where that came from. And so many, a lot of writers, especially in science fiction, do that. Do that. I mean, you have you have to tap so many sources in order to make the science in your science fiction plausible and believable. If you're creating a culture, there's mythology, there's cultural anthropology, there's biology because the biology of a given species will make will have a lot of determining factors in the culture and how it develops. So there's zoology, especially if you're creating say if you're creating a species that's completely non-human. Mm-hmm. You have to, <clears throat> excuse me. You have to do a good amount of research there with biology and zoology to make this to make this non-human species sound believable, feel believable, so that again you don't lose your reader. If you there, they take this journey with you, and you're introducing them to something that is so that is completely not human. <coughs> Excuse me. But you do it in such a way that like this actually makes sense. Like, okay, I see where the I see where you're going and the more I read, the more this creature makes sense, I'm still willing to go along to, to continue on the journey and not com- and either not fall out of the story or completely just gloss, skip over this particular character. Right. So there's 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 a lot of a lot of research involved. But whatever the genre, what if you're going to write, whatever the genre, you have to read, and you have to read a lot. Mm-hmm. You have to learn. I mean, good and bad, because you have to learn. From those who did, you learn from those who did good. You learn from those who did bad. If you're going to break the rules of a particular convention, you have to know what those rules are, so that you can break them the right way and still right. capture. Here. So reading, 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 reading is absolutely paramount. Just in general. Just, just in general. Again, I was raised in a, I was raised in a household where I was surrounded by books, so that 
thing is second nature to me. And when I come across people who don't read, it it, it it's just the the very idea is just anathema to me. I'm like, really? I I I don't I don't understand. And one thing that's coming up in this coming October in Burbank, California, there is going to be a local authors showcase in which I am participating. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I applied for that with one of my best friends, Rick Walls. He had, he's, he's a film director out here, and he had actually, he lives in Burbank, and so he had managed to get a hold of an application, which he then passed on to me. I filled it out right away and sent it in. Now, the deadline is supposed to be August, but within about a week and a half, I found that all the spaces had filled up, and I had been picked. I'm like, wow, okay, that was quick response. So this coming October 4th is going to be a local author showcase at the the Buena Vista branch of the of the Free Library in in Burbank, California. So that's going to be something where the, I don't know who the other authors are yet. I'll get details as they come in, but at least I'll be able to talk before an audience about my talk before a live audience about my about my books about my career, and maybe do a reading and hopefully sell a few copies while I'm there. And since it's since we're in it's right there in basically the hub of the business, hopefully I can get the attention of some professionals within the business. Um right. agent producers, what have you. So that's what we're we're putting together now. Remember we're trying to compile a list of people in the business, I mean higher ups in the business to invite to this showcase, not just for me. I mean, it'll be great if they definitely want to attach themselves to me. That would be wonderful. But it's not not just for me, but for the other authors who are going to be there right. as well. Well, I have no doubt in my heart that you can't do it. I know you can't, Corey. You only made it this far. And to me, it's not always about finishing, but just getting to that just getting to that point in your life where you know you have excelled. And success, success to me, is it's about not giving up. That's what success is to me. You didn't give up. You kept going. Look where you're at. Four books. You're working on three more. You're about to go to this event. And so I'm, I'm very happy for you. I think this is so encouraging as being a black man, too, being black, period, out here, because it's hard. It's always going to be hard, no matter what. And I know people... Like I said, they fail to realize that because you think we're in a certain point in the world. No, we're still struggling and surviving. Even the ones you see, um, Miss Rice up there in the government. I mean, it's it's always a struggle. Not gonna always be easy, and that's why you have to. They always say you have to work three times as hard as as the next person, and that is true. And 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 when it comes to the reading part, you that's why when you were saying that you should always read. Read regardless if you want to become a writer, wherever you want to be, just read. Because they always used to say, if you don't want a black person to read, put it in the book. People, get educated up on it. And don't just depend on just the reading part. Do your own knowledge. Do your own research because it's out here to get. We just got to start being lazy and get to it. Now, Corey, how did acting come about for you, though? How did you, how were you able to get discovered? Uh, again, the, the, as, I, as I said, what my mom had said, the, the Warning signs of the budding actor were there at an early age. And when I went off to college, because, I mean, I the acting button had been there, and I had done a few things, but really when I went off to college, because I had originally gone off to Stanford with the with the intention of being an RTF major, radio, television, and film. I was going to, I had planned on working behind the scenes, which is something I just want to do. But... I was a freshman, it was early in the year, and I was looking for something to do to get involved in campus life. And there was a production being mounted of the play The Night Thoreau Spent in Jail, about you know, Henry David Thoreau and his, his time at Walden Pond, talking about his time at Walden Pond, and the time that he had spent in jail for basically tax evasion. And, and I played a, an escape slave named Henry Williams who was running to Canada 
and getting in front of a live audience, feeling, working with the other actors in mounting the production, the energy exchange between the other actors, the energy exchange between the actors and the audience, that definitely got me hooked. And that was when I truly realized, not decided, but realized that this was what I wanted to do, that this was what I was meant to do. So, because it was there. It was there. It had been there. But actually realizing that you were meant to do something, right. that's, that's key there. So that's when I discovered that. And then then changed my major drama, got involved, involved, involved in so many different things. So during the time that I was there, I was involved with Loganita Players. My dorm complex actually had our own in-house company, Loganita Players. There was the drama department, black performing arts, and the various different companies on campus. It was Company, Ramshead, and Theater in Progress. And then there was the dance department, the dance quorum, and the one thing about my time there that definitely tends to throw people is for two of the years there, I actually toured with the university's resident Mexican folk dance company. So, yeah, that yeah, that tends to get the response of huh, but right, right. <laughs> but I I like I said looking for something to do, and I also I made it a point to immerse myself in as many of the various different ethnic groups and cultures on campus as possible, just to be well rounded. But the actual the drive, the true drive to it to immerse myself in acting that truly, I would say, truly started in college. Okay. And that I was involved in, on the average, five to six major productions per year. And this is, which takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, and this is on top of classes and a job and having some semblance of a social life and lighting. So, yeah, I had a very busy time of it when I was in school. The one thing, though, that school does not prepare you for. It gives you the education. It gives you the classical background. Mm-hmm. But it prepare you for real life. Because oh, yes. when I was in college, which as large a campus as Stanford was, it was still a somewhat insular community, I still managed to get, I'd say, 90% of the shows that I auditioned for. Whereas when I got out into the real world, that completely flipped the other way. Where I right. didn't 90% of the things that I auditioned for because there were far too, there were more, more actors who were out there looking for work and trying to get the same parts. And in some cases, who in many cases, who were better than me. And a, and right. a lot of times, when you're going to auditions, mm-hmm. a lot of times the people that you were auditioning for don't quite know what they want, but but you may not be it. They're not sure what they're looking for, but you may not be it. So right. you develop a thick skin. It's I mean, basically it's it's a matter of emotional survival if you're going to continue in this business to develop a thick skin to not take rejection personally, to try to learn from that, what did I do wrong, what could I do better so that you improve. And this is on top of workshops and classes and what have you, but just going going through the audition and pro, auditioning process, and if you don't get the job, if you realize you did do something wrong, then do then correct it and do something right so that you stand a better chance of getting the job the next time around. So it's 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 a punishing process in as much as you have you have to deal with a lot of rejection. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of pavement pounding 
it's a lot of research looking for the jobs. And even if you have an agent, even if you have a manager, <coughs> you are still, it's still incumbent upon you to go out looking for to look for the work yourself because, again, even if you have a manager, even if you have an agent, mm-hmm. no one is going to work harder at your career than you are. Right. You've got to put yourself out there on front row. Can't sit back and wait for somebody else to do it for you. That is why I've been doing, for example, radio shows like this, radio shows and podcasts and what have you, like this to get my name out in the public eye. Right. Get my and see, that's out in the exactly, Cora. And see, that's why I love to do. Sh- that's why I love to do Blog Talk Radio because that's what I did when I was at Clay State University. We had we had internet radio, and we still have it to to this day. And it's just better to me than doing a local station. Of course, I would probably love to be at B one hundred three in Atlanta and one hundred seven point nine. But this is better to me because it gets around. I can. I could speak to whoever I feel like speaking to. It could go to Africa, Asia, and everybody will be able to listen instead of being stuck to one station, and you're just in that state or just a few cities around in that state. Or So, yeah, so with this show, I hope that we do go beyond that. And you know what? I I did want to um, piggyback off that, what you were saying about how school doesn't always prepare you for the real world, which is true because when I was going to Clayton State University, I majored in broadcasting. And they're more based on theory than actually teaching you what you really need to know. So when I went to stations like Channel 2 or Fox 5, I felt it was competitive because I'm dealing with people who I went to Kennesaw State University, UGA, and I'm like, okay, these people got the material at their school, so now I have to compete with them, and I don't have a clue. I have to learn. I just have to go in. as I As I go in, I have to just pick up. Cause that's how I felt. I didn't get the. I didn't get no experience. We didn't do anything that was based on news. I could write all day, but I want to know how to perform in front of the camera. I think that would be a great subject to focus on. How to actually write your own news script and how to put them in. I think that's what they need to have in the class. Because when you go to these jobs, you don't internship is okay, but you still want to have the knowledge. I shouldn't have to learn. While I'm there at the end time, I should be able to say, okay, we we did this in class. I feel more confident. I could do this. Well, I have to actually go there and learn all over again. So I felt really bad. I was like, oh, wow, this chick over here got it going on because she know more. So, oh. so, yeah, I do. I agree with you. Schools, most probably not all schools, but the school I went to, we learned theory. It was just basic books and exams all day. No no extra getting you ready for what you need to be prepared for out here. So yeah. Yeah. I mean as far as like I said, as far as my acting career, you learned the show of show business. When you were in school you learned the right. show of show business. It's only when you really get out into the world that you start learning the business. Mm-hmm. Right. Not you only have to learn the acting job, but getting the acting job, making connections, networking Mm-hmm. Navigating the politics involved. Navigating, navigating the politics involved—that's a big thing. That's a big thing, especially, especially if you're going to be out in the, out in the Hollywood area. Right. Politics should be the main issue, but you definitely, but like I, you say, you have to go out and get it. You're not going to get it in the schools. They're going to teach you on the little basics, and that's about it. I could do exams all day, so. When I get out here, I need to know what's going on out here, and that's what you're not teaching me, but I'm paying all my money. And now i got to owe student loans, so how wonderful is that? But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am thankful for I am thankful for all those days I spent in class. I am thankful for all my, those, uh, for all the time I spent on stage. I am thankful mm-hmm. for all the time I spent behind the scenes, behind backstage, because, I mean, giving me the foundation, give, giving me the education and the foundation upon which to build a career once you get out there. I mean, that that is absolutely invaluable, absolutely invaluable. And I consider myself very fortunate and very blessed to have had that experience because well, you, there are so many, so many who don't, 
who unfortunately, for whatever reason, don't have that kind of opportunity. Well, okay. Okay, I can take it from that standpoint. Yeah. And I'm not thankful at all, Corey. I love the school that I went to, great professors and everything. It's just that for what I was going for as a news reporter, that they should have more courses on that because I think, I mean, it's fine. News writing is part of news reporting, and that's cool, but it should be more courses on how to actually set up, write your own scripts and stuff like that. And that's the only problem I have with Plain State. If you're, you need to have courses on how to produce a radio show, if that's what you want to go into. It needs to be more expanded, not just focus on just little basis, because not everybody wants to go into PR. And, and you need to have more classes. That's all I hope for for Crane State. They're progressing. I just hope that they get more for communication majors at, at their school. That's that's my only blessing. The theory is yeah, being learning the theory is good, but but theory without hands on practical application, right? Does it, it is not a help. I mean, uh, yeah, you you may have the knowledge of of what to do from books and from lectures and from classes, knowing what to do and knowing how to do it, two different things. Right, it is. The stuff that I learned in the field, Tom Jones, the reporter for Channel 2, it's totally different from the book. I'm like, what are you doing? What's going on? So, you know, you be sitting up there like, I'm looking at him like, I'm clueless. I don't know what to do. So I got to really sit here and really focus because I'm not being taught that in school. But, um, Corey, I tell you, it's, it's been wonderful talking, definitely talking with you, you know. And I, I love when we can we can still focus on what you were doing and your career, and we can still talk a little bit more outside the box. That's what I love about my show. But, Corey, before we get off the air, I would love for the audience to know your contact information to find out more about you, keep up to date on your upcoming books and stuff. Well, I'm... I'm on the, I'm on Black Planet. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm getting involved in various different other social networking sites that are involved in the industry to help get my okay. word out that way. And, and the best way to reach me is on Facebook. I have a page for myself, Corey Williams. I have a page for my career, Corey Works. And I have a, I, each time a new book comes out, I set up a new page for each of the individual books. So I have pages for Totentons. The Taking of Cinderella's Hope, Hunter's Moon, and Dark Speed Aridani. And so, again, the easiest, the best way to reach me would be on would be via Facebook. And the books are available through my online publisher, lulu.com. That L-U-L-U.com. That's where you, you can get the books. They're print to order, so you can get them either in hard copy, and there's nothing like the feeling of actually having the book on your hand. But since there's so many other forms of media out there, the various different reading tablets, right. you can also order the book in downloadable ebook format, so you can read it on your computer, read it on your tablet, what have you. So both are available through both formats for the, for the Totentons, the Taking of Cinderella's Hope, Hunter's Moon, and Dark Speed Aridani are available through Lulu.com. Well, people, I hope that if you're into sci-fi, get these books. They are they are some great books. From what I have read, I'm going to end up getting them myself when I get a little bit more cash. But, yeah, definitely end up getting the books. That it would be a great um, addition to your collection, I think. Um, but, yeah, Corey, thank you again for being on the show. I wish you so much in your future. You're doing well. I hope one day when, when, you, when we get another opportunity that we could do this again because it's been wonderful. Really have. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Oh, Oh, you're so welcome. You have a blessed one, Corey. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Well, everyone, it has been wonderful. I won't be on tomorrow. Like I said, I still cut my days down, but I will definitely see you on Monday. And I hope everyone has a blessed weekend. Go out, enjoy your life. Um, don't let anything stop you from achieving your goals. As Corey said, you just have to keep getting out there. You have to keep going. You don't quit. Quit should not even be in your vocabulary words. Oh, and before we get out there, I would just like to say for all my Forrest Gump lovers out there, Forrest Gump is now turning 20 years old this weekend. <laughs> so congratulations to Forrest Gump. I tell you, I, that movie, it can never die. 
it will never die. It's one of the classics. But it's been nice traveling through this dimension with you, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey to a wondrous land of imagination. And our next stop is off. I'll see you the next time on Monday. You have a blessed one. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless. Thank you.